It's Road to the Cup on ESPNLA. Welcome. Dave Denholm with you here on this uh, lovely Thursday, December 15th, as we're marching towards that Sunday final. Of course, we've got the third place game Saturday, but all eyes are going to be on Sunday's final, Argentina and France, and what a matchup it's going to be. Got a lot to talk about. Obviously, no games today, but we've got plenty to get to. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk with Pepe Mantilla. He'll break down what he's seen in this World Cup. Plus, I'm going to have more on who I think wins the golden ball and my World Cup best 11 and all that still to come. Big news, though. If you're, if you're ever uh, you know wanting to kind of get more on the World Cup, you probably already go there. But ESPN.com does a great job over at ESPNFC. If you go to EF, ESPNFC.us, they got great coverage, of course. And one of the things they talked about, one of many that we'll get to right now, some of the news, if you will, that's breaking is France trying to control a virus. They had some illnesses that caused a couple of players to miss the game against Morocco. In fact, two starters, Dio Ubacano and Adrian Rabio, were unavailable for that match. In fact, uh, you heard it on the Fox broadcast, the TV broadcast. Rabio didn't even come to the game and uh, was left back at the hotel. So you're hoping that uh, France can make sure they don't that virus doesn't spread throughout the team. And now, Again, you've been with the, each other for almost two months, you know, Unfortunately, illnesses do happen, and we all know this, and we're all hyper-aware, especially over the last couple of years, of viruses and illnesses. You just want a, a, a World Cup where everybody on both teams is healthy. That's what we're hoping for. Hope it doesn't spread. Hope everybody who has uh, maybe had you know some illness from these teams can you know get back to 100% and get back onto the pitch, because that's what you really want in a World Cup final, right? We saw it with Philadelphia Union last year. They were rocked by COVID-19. Well, the show went on. In terms of, you know, you have to play the game, and it cost them, in all likelihood, the Eastern Conference Final. Maybe cost them an MLS Cup last season. Although NYCFC would have an argument for that. I get it. But, it, you know, obviously there was you know several players missing for Philadelphia Union. We don't want anything to happen like that for this World Cup, France versus Argentina. So may they all be healthy going into that final and get everybody back to 100%. Some more interesting news that uh, came out was... Uh, after the uh, the tragic passing of Grant Wall while covering the World Cup, of course, legendary soccer writer. He was a great writer for SI, even beyond soccer, of course. Passed away while covering the uh, World Cup of, uh, you know, a few days ago. His wife, uh, a, a really well-known doctor, Dr. Celine Gounder, released a statement uh, talking about you know the cause of death. This was released, actually, I think yesterday. I just wanted to kind of touch base on it, uh, where she mentioned that uh, Grant had uh, uh, Grant Wall, her husband, had passed away because of an undetected aortic aneurysm. So she kind of went and made sure she kind of said, you know, this doesn't have to do uh, with, you know, there, like some people were speculating it was unrelated to COVID, unrelated to his vaccine status. Uh, no amount of CPR, she says, or shocks would have saved him. This was just an unfortunate, unfortunate thing that happened medically. So, and, you know, there was all these conspiracy theories on really both sides of that, you know, going back and forth about things. So it it, it was very, you know, you know, obviously through very trying times for her and her family uh, to release that statement, though, to just kind of clear, clear up some of those misconceptions, maybe uh, about the cause uh, of uh, Grant's untimely passing. And once again, we do want to send our very best to uh, Dr. Gounder and her family as they go through this trying time with the passing of Grant Wall. Moving on to some more news in the World Cup. Fernando Santos out as Portugal manager. Not a big surprise. 
after they were bounced. Although, you know, he's done a great job. Santos, the 68 years old, he won a Euro in 2016. He took over in 2014. I mean, he gets them to the Euro Championship. They win it. Obviously, the big trophy for Cristiano Ronaldo's career in terms of his Portugal career, I should say. So, great job done by Santos. Came up a little shy this time after losing to Morocco. So, he is out as Portugal manner. But again, he's been at it since 2014. So, not a bad run when it comes certainly to, you know, international football not to say that it doesn't happen we saw that in the final eight what five or six of the managers were on their second go around if you will but it doesn't usually happen that way so he had a long run as Portugal coach but he is uh, exiting as Portugal manager and we'll see where they go but you know it's just like you wonder at 68 if he really wants to maybe do it again for a different nation we'll see maybe he goes back to some club coaching but he is a fantastic manager no two ways about it so it would be interesting to see where he may go or, you know, maybe he decides to retire. Maybe he feels he has plenty more to give and see where he ends up. But certainly you want to keep an eye out for him. Fernando Santos is a great manager and did a great job with Portugal. You know, he kind of, let's face it, we go back to that decision. We talked a little bit on the show. If the decision to bench Cristiano Ronaldo at the time didn't work, oh, he would have been lit up for it, Right. The only, th- the only way the decision is a good decision, if it works. And that's the way you have to judge virtually everything in sports. It's a win or loss kind of business in a sense. When you're in the knockout stages, if you make a move like that, you either win or you go home. So it's either a good move or a bad move. Well, it turned out great when they pounded Switzerland 6-1 because Gonzalo Ramos, the man who replaced Ronaldo in the lineup, scores three goals and gets an assist, right? So he's a genius until it doesn't work the next game against Morocco. So what do you make of that, right? Because if it failed right from the jump, of course, Fernando Santos would have been gone and it would have been like criticized, even if the move was the right move. It doesn't matter if it failed, quote unquote. But you can't call that a failure, can you? It worked. So he certainly has a good reputation. He will move on. And if he wants to coach, you know, and wants to continue, he will get, you know, get another opportunity. Certainly we'll see where he ends up. Keep an eye out and an ear out for that third place game. We're not going to break it down too much, but again, I want to re- we will talk more about it tomorrow certainly before we get ready to kind of really dive into the final uh planning on having Sebastian Salazar tomorrow. By the way, if you miss any kind of interviews or anything that go on, don't forget you can always podcast the show at ESPNLA the app or wherever you get your podcasts. We will have a show Sunday uh, a special show Sunday on ESPN LA, and of course we'll make it turn it into a podcast form as well after the World Cup. So that's like we've been doing Monday through Friday, but of course we'll add it on a Sunday show after the World Cup finishes up. So this Croatia Morocco, I expect a high scoring affair. I'm not telling you to you know go bet the over or anything. I'm not saying that, but you know if we do find out what the over under is Mario on that match, you know you can pass that along later. I don't know the over under on Morocco Croatia, but. You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, that kind of thing. But really should be a very intense, but not as intense match, right? Like, it's almost like, yes, they turn out to be more intense and more well-played usually than you would think they would be. So we'll see how that goes. But all eyes are on Messi and Mbappe and Argentina and France. And we talked a lot about it from the France perspective, Okay, yesterday, like how how would we judge them? Mario asked even like how do you judge them if they win a second straight? And we talked about how 
yeah, it might be, it, it probably is, maybe the most amazing, you know, kind of most amazing event in World Cup history, really. But, you know, you hear about other teams winning, you know, they've won, there's teams that have won two out of three and, you know, made three straight finals or won three out of, you know. But in this era, with the way talent spreads out and gets new experiences and you find new players elsewhere and players go to develop in better leagues maybe than where they are from and become more well-rounded players or different types of players. Yeah, it makes a difference, and that's what France... But what about the Argentina perspective of this? Because it's so messy. And I don't mean messy with a Y. I mean, it's so, like, messy, 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 right? He... And that's not to say that everybody... I don't believe everybody looks at Argentina in this tournament. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, Mario, you give me a thumbs up or a thumb just down here. I don't think people are looking at this tournament like Argentina is messy and 10 other guys. It doesn't seem like that. Now, obviously, the storyline is messy. But I think the team is better and more deserving of a little more respect. I mean, Julian Alvarez has, what, four goals? Right? I mean, we've seen great performances out of him. We've seen great performances out of McAllister and Fernandez in the midfield and defensively, Romero and Otamende and Taliafico. I mean, there's great players, right? Even the goalkeeper, Emiliano Martinez, has had a good tournament. So even as I made my World Cup best 11, which we'll get to later, this was not like, oh, Messi's the only Argentina representative. But boy, what a crazy turn. Now, mind you, he's playing brilliantly, and he is the best player in the world. But from an Argentina perspective, this this has got to be really, really, really satisfying, especially, you know, obviously if they can pull this off. Yes, it's for Messi. And we'll have the talks of arguments of whether he's the greatest because of it. But this team deserves a lot of credit. This is not just one guy and 10 stiffs, right? This is not just maybe the best player to ever live and 10 bums that he's carrying along. And, you know, sometimes it felt or not felt like that. But if you look at revisionist history, occasionally you, you get that feeling about Argentina with Maradona, right? He was so overpowering. And so dominant. Uh, but, you know, Mario Kempes was the guy who won him the first. You know, like, and they've, Argentina is Argentina. They've had talent, you know, like, all along, all the time. They're just loaded. It's just a great footballing nation. So, yeah, I think this team, and you'll see it in my best 11 coming up later. This team, this team deserves a lot of credit, including Scaloni, the manager, right? This is not Messi and 10 others or 15 others or 24 others or whatever however deep you want to go on the bench kind of thing. Yeah, it's and that's what makes it all the more intriguing, really, because it is about Messi getting that World Cup, but, boy, he's got some help. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. We have help from our friends at Estrella Jalisco. We're going to get some help from Pepe Mantilla in the next segment. I can't wait to talk to him. Legend on the radio, analyst for Lakers basketball for the last 30 seasons. Well, this is his 30th year, and we'll talk with him about the World Cup and much more. Coming up next here on Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome back. As always, we are powered by our friends from Estrella Jalisco. We appreciate their support here on Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you, and I am joined now, and what a pleasure it is to be joined by a legend in Los Angeles, a legend in LA sports. He's an analyst on the radio for the Lakers. It's his 30th season. Please welcome to Road to the Cup, Pepe Mantilla. Pepe, such an honor and a privilege to have you. Want to jump right in and talk a little bit about 
what a matchup we have. What a marquee matchup this final is with Argentina and France. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for all the things that you said about me. And I'm not really a legend. You are a legend. But thank you anyways. It's the match that everybody was expecting, I guess. Everybody was thinking it's going to be Argentina and Brazil on the one side and the other side. Everybody was talking about France and and some people were talking about Spain in the, at the beginning of the World Cup. But uh, France is the champion. They're playing good. Argentina has Messi. And it's very interesting the way they're playing every time they play better. And the one thing that nobody mentions is that in 1990, Argentina went to Italy as, a, as the champion because they won in 1986. Maradona was playing with the team. They lost their first match against Cameroon 1-0, and then they went to the final. And in the final, they lost against Germany with a penalty that was kind of um, iffy, and the refereeing was highly criticized. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. We saw it with Spain, too, losing their first match back in 2010, and then moving on. Pepe, why do you think these two teams are here. I mean, we can talk about Messi, certainly, and killing Mbappe as individual talents, but what is it about Argentina and France, do you believe, that that has uh, brought them to this final? Well, uh, they're, they're well-coached, uh, the discipline, the way they play. They never go out of the system that they have, even uh, with Messi or with Mbappe. But they, they have their, their system, and then they keep on repeating that. And they take advantage of the mistakes of the other team. They they certainly are very, very good at that. And, uh, you know, France scores right away against Morocco in a, in a, in a mistake by, by the, the players, and they take advantage of that. Not every team can do that. And when, when you don't make them, when you don't score, then they're going to score against you. Yeah, absolutely, and it it has worked out that way, no doubt, all the way along. We're talking with Pepe Montilla. You can hear his work on KWKW, 13.30 a.m. He's an analyst for Lakers Radio, been there for decades, and we appreciate him taking the time here to talk a game that he also has covered and loves, the beautiful game, our sport. And uh, Pepe, let me ask you about the whole tournament, I guess. What are some of the things that stand out? Are you a fan of, like, underdogs, Morocco, that type of story? Yeah, you know what? At the beginning, I didn't really believe in Morocco because I didn't like the way they play in the system that was, you know, very defensive. But then once once they they were down against France, they show a hell of a good good rhythm. They play good. The players, the the players, Morocco national team is incredible because the the goalie is from Canada. And most of the players are from Europe. The hardly the, the minority are from Morocco, but there is a reason for that because a lot of people left uh, Morocco and they went to different places because of political reasons. But the players are so good, you know, and they play in great teams. And you know, I I really was amazed uh, uh, at the way they play. And I think that the coach, in a way, made a mistake in the sense that just keep them, you know, like waiting and waiting and waiting because they they have they have amazing talent some of those players yeah maybe surprised him a little bit too you're right uh, probably should have uh, taken the handcuffs off a little bit earlier and maybe let him play a little bit more uh, figuratively speaking uh, pepe 
I would be remiss if we had you on the podcast and didn't, of course, now talk about L Tree in the U.S. But first, let's start with L Tree. Certainly a disappointing tournament. What did you see out of Mexico? Did you expect much going in, and did they maybe live down to that expectation? Well, we know. I mean, Dave, you know, you know soccer more than I do because you're more into into that right now. But everybody know, knew Mexico didn't have players that could score. They didn't call Chicharito. Vela didn't go. And uh, Vela is a great, great player. Chicharito is a great scorer. For whatever reason, they didn't have him. And, you know, it took a long time before the coach realized that they're going to have to put more players up front. And you you, can, you cannot play against Argentina like that. And... and and thinking that you're going to win. Now, the irony about this, and I talked to a lot of Mexicans here and abroad, the irony is that, you know, the coach from Mexico is from Argentina, and they're playing Argentina, so that's kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to understand. I really think that Mexico plays better when they have a Mexican coach because of the idiosyncrasies. I don't know if you uh, kind of... uh, understand that what i'm trying mm. to tell yeah no it makes sense i mean that's how a lot of people feel about the u.s uh we certainly tried you know a foreign-born coach jurgen klinsman was a great name great coach he was he had some success as well but a lot of people do like to keep you know that the, their national teams and kind of focus on a, a national coach from that country what about the u.s though pepe now we don't know if greg berhalter will be back what did you see from them and how what do you what do you think of the u.s going forward now out of this world cup well the u.s really impressed me they i really i uh, i told everybody that they were going to beat uh netherlands because they have a good team and they're young but they're very talented and the midfield is amazing and and this team most of these guys are going to be in the next World Cup. And then, I don't know if the coach is going to be the same. I personally don't like him because the because you cannot play against Netherlands the way he played. You have to play with more people in the midfield in order for them to help you on the on the breakaways. It's true that uh, Pulisic missed a goal and maybe things would have changed, you know. But still, you know, you don't put so many people in front. You need people and back and and to protect the the wing and then if you see uh, uh memphis and it was there was doing a lot of a lot of uh, damage especially because the two goals are exactly the same in the spanish that 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 is called el pase de la muerte because it comes from the wing to the penalty spot and more most of the time it's going to be a goal you know we're talking with Pepe Mantilla. Uh, you can hear his work on KWKW thirteen thirty AM as analyst for the Lakers on the radio for his thirtieth season. Congratulations on that, Pepe. I'm going to leave you with a tough question here. We've been asking everybody, and we've been talking about it a lot on the show, as you know. Uh, if Messi wins the World Cup, let's give him the World Cup championship. Is he the greatest of all time? You and I have seen Diego Maradona. We didn't quite see Pele, you know, really in his prime or anything like that, but. How do you feel about that kind of argument, if you will, if Messi were to win the World Cup? Every time that anybody asks me a question like that, you know, I I only thank God for giving me the chance to see Pelea in his prime, Maradona in his prime, and Messi in his prime, okay? It's very hard to compare 
because they didn't play at the same time, you know, under the same circumstances. Because when Pelé played and when Maradona played, they they got they got they got a lot of fouls, you know. Now the players you you breed um, next to them, and then they they go to the ground, and and the flopping is something that I don't like. They should give them yellow cards, and this applies to everybody, okay? But I think Messi now at at, at this time is the best player the best soccer players player in the world i cannot tell you if he was better than maradona because i saw maradona maradona did really amazing things and what can i tell you pele i mean if people have didn't see pele live they probably seen him in videos and the things that Pelé did and and um, with with brazil and and three World Cups. I mean, how can how can you compare that? He won three three World Cups. You know, yeah. great stuff. I can't argue with you on that. I really can't. It's so hard to pick. No question about it, uh, because they all are so tremendous. Awesome to to talk to you, Pepe. Pepe Montilla. Uh, check out his work again as analyst for the Lakers on the radio. Congratulations! It's your thirtieth season. How's it going for you, by the way, this basketball season? How are you enjoying it? Well, you know, the Lakers are not doing that well, but um, the organization is always trying to put a good team and, and you know, they've been doing it for a long time, 17 titles. Yeah. You know, it's it's not easy to get 17 titles. And, you know, they're, they're playing better and we have the best fans in the world. And let me tell you something. I have to congratulate you because... LAFC, that game was amazing. And I listened to you, oh. uh, and you are amazing. And I'm just not saying this because I'm, I'm already with you. I told you that before, and, and I get very critical when people don't do the, the things right. You do the things fantastic. I enjoy listening to you, and I enjoy very much the program that you have because I love soccer, and it's nice to have somebody talk about soccer during the World Cup. You know what is bad about this? is that only last one month, the month goes really fast, and then we have to wait for four years. Well, now three and a half, thankfully. That's the good news, I guess, and it's going to be in our backyard, which is awesome, too. He is awesome. He's a legend. Don't let him tell you otherwise. Pepe Montilla, analyst on the radio for the Lakers, also a big-time football fan, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Road to the Cup, Pepe. Have a great night, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you too. Pepe Montilla, Road to the Cup continues coming up next here on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you. Thanks again to Pepe Montilla from KWKW 1330 AM, analyst for Lakers Radio. And I want to just, again, say how much we appreciate him taking the time. Great stuff from Pepe. Great conversation there. If you miss any of these interviews or if you missed some of that with Pepe, you can always podcast the show. Okay, you go uh, wherever you get your pods, or if you want to go to the ESPN LA app, download it and listen. If you're inclined, you can subscribe, rate, and review as we wrap up this show. But I appreciate it. I, I do appreciate that. We will, again, have a show on Sunday on the World Cup final day as we build up towards that game with France and Argentina. Wanted to touch base on something we've been talking about, which is 2026 and beyond, really, with the 48 teams, right? And I've been kind of... I don't know. I'm kind of progressing along, even as we've been doing this World Cup show throughout the last month plus, that I'm kind of into the 48 countries. Again, because the ship of 32 teams has sailed. That's gone. Okay? Never to probably return. 32 is the perfect number. 
But if they are moving to 48, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. And uh, I went back to ESPN. I want to go back to ESPN FC. Dale Johnson, who's the general editor at ESPN FC, wrote something up about it and kind of just explained it a little bit more and actually also went through and kind of if we already had 48 teams with each region getting a certain amount more, which they will, and I'll talk a little bit about that as he he outlined in this article. He then went and talked about who would have made it this time, right? Who would have been in the World Cup this time? And then he even did some pretend draw, you know, like he, he simulated draws of what they would look like based on how they might do this. Well, the extra places are there's, you know, there's going to be, of course, the three hosts, U.S., Mexico, Canada. They all qualify. CONCACAF will get three more spots. Africa adds four spots, which I think is perfectly fair because Africa is the hardest region to qualify out of, in my estimation. Asia gets four more spots. They're going to have eight teams. But then you forget that in this World Cup, right, they already had six. Australia, Iran, Japan, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, and Qatar as the host. So they're only adding really two more, even though they get, you know, because they, uh, you know, two more like permanent, like eight permanent spots in a sense because they – also won the uh, you know the playoff thing, but they would you know they're going to get the spots, but they also had Qatar as the host qualify as well. So, and then Europe gets three more up to sixteen. South America gets a nice little bump with two more teams. Six out of ten will now make it, and then Oceania gets one spot officially, not just to move into a playoff. So I, I think that's fair, certainly. So he went on to Dale Johnson went on to kind of look at who would have qualified this time around if we had already had the forty eight teams. Kind of interesting. Again, Africa gets more teams in. They would have gotten Algeria, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt. Does that uh, ring a bell? Maybe with the guy who plays for Liverpool. Mali and Nigeria, of course, is a great team as well. So there's really good teams there that would have qualified. Iraq and the United Arab Emirates would have made it. Here's an interesting one, of course, in CONCACAF. Because remember, Costa Rica won a playoff. So they already were in this time. But they would have added Panama and Jamaica. They also would have been in. And for Europe, the three spots would have went to North Macedonia, Sweden, and Ukraine. Oceania, of course, would have gone to New Zealand. They were the best team in Oceania and made the playoffs, didn't quite get out of the playoff. And South America, looking at their standings, would have had Chile, Colombia, and Peru would have also been added. Of course, Peru lost in the playoff this time, but they would have, you know, if we had 48 teams. So it was kind of interesting to see who would have made it. And I kind of like it. Now, the key is what option they use, and we've talked a little bit about this. Lord, they cannot have groups of three. Oh, it just the more I think of it, it just gets worse and worse, right? There's the possibility that that final match, you could have two teams that if they know they need a certain result, would just play for that, right? And the other team can't play that day. They've already played their two matches. You only get two matches potentially. That's hideous. And with 16 groups of three, you know, frankly... All the really, you know, on paper good teams are so spread out that you don't get a lot of great marquee matchups in the group stage, even in the group stage. So I don't like it at all. I mean, I don't like going to 48, but like I said, that's gone. We're doing it, but I don't like that. They have to go to four in a group, right, with 12 groups. Yes, some third-place teams will actually go through, and some people – will then say, well, there's not that pressure then if a lot of thir- – I beg to differ. And here's why. If you have four teams in a group like they do now 
and you play at the same time on the final group day, right? You three matches, the third match for every team, you're playing at the same time. Virtually every team will be alive. If you get if third place teams can go through, which a few of them would, right, to get to 48, and you have, you know, 12 groups, you need 32 for the knockout stage, just so you know. So eight third place teams would go through. You'd have your two, you know, top two automatically. Then the best eight out of 12 third place teams. Think about virtually everyone is alive on the last day. Like always. I mean, it's virtually impossible for anybody to be really be knocked out by then if eight of the 12 third place teams. Because if you win your last game, right? Three points might just get, you know. So it actually adds more tension in a lot of ways. And by that, I mean, yes, this World Cup, a lot of the games had every, I mean, I don't know that there was a game that had nothing riding on it in this World Cup. In other words, sometimes you can have two wins for two teams and two losses for the other, right? Into the into the final match, nothing matters in that last match for the two teams that already lost. But it would in a World Cup of 48 teams because you could still get out as a third-place team. So every match, I mean, virtually from here on out, if you went to four teams in a group – Every match would have to have something to play for. Always. And that is fascinating. I mean, it's already amazing television, right? It's already amazing entertainment the third day of the of each group. Because virtually now it's just you know ridiculous and who's gonna get out who's but at least every now, granted, what people will say is, well, you don't know if you're gonna, you know, the first group that plays their last match day, you don't know if you're going to get out. Yes, that's true, but you still got to win that last game, right? I mean, if you're on zero points, you think you might have a shot with three. Well, you better go win. So it'll make for great final match days in group play. So I love it for that. It has to go that route. I'm talking right now. I'm speaking to you, FIFA, and Gianni Infantino. I know you listen to the podcast. Wink, wink. Right, I know you've been here all all this time on Road to the Cup. Just listen to me and do the 12 groups of four. You've already mucked up the perfect number of 32, okay? But I can accept the fact that we're moving on from that because it's more revenue, more games. Well, it'll be a ton more games this way, but so what? Yes, it'll stretch it out for more days. Do we? Re- does anybody really mind? You know what? Stretch it out a few more days and give teams more rest even which they'll already be getting a decent amount of because of this, you know, 12 groups. Fine. And I know the players would say, well, you got to get it over with. with this. Oh, come on. These players are blood, sweat, and tears every game for their country, and it's beautiful. So if it takes a little bit more time, so be it. I'm all for it. Who's going to win the golden ball given to the best player of the World Cup? Well, not just because it's Argentina-France, but it also makes for a realistic uh, look at it. Let's be honest. It's likely Messi or Mbappe, right? Whoever wins the World Cup, as long as the other dude doesn't like, you know, the guy who wins the World Cup doesn't just trip over his feet all game or get a red card in like the first minute, and yet somehow his team goes on to win. Let's presume, let's say Argentina won. The only way Mbappe would beat out Messi for the trophy is if Messi has a horrible game and Argentina wins 4-3 and Mbappe had a hat trick, <laughs> you know, like something like that, forcing extra time with a, you know, a hat trick or something, and yet somehow Argentina still wins that game, 
then maybe Mbappe would get the, you know, the gold ball, golden ball, while losing, let's say. But in all likelihood, or vice versa, if let's say France wins three two, but Mbappe is awful, and Messi scores two world class goals, maybe he would still win the golden ball. But you know, France would still win the. That's the only way you can see that happening, though, right? In all likelihood, because of the way this is going to go down, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Whoever wins this match, that player's winning the golden ball, right? There's no. It's almost like. I guess if Julian Alvarez scored like four goals in this match, wins the golden boot, right? Passes over Messi and Mbappe. I guess there's, or Olivier Giroud does the same thing. He's only a goal behind. I guess there's other ways for other guys to do that and win the golden ball. But, I mean, smart money is (laughs) if Argentina wins, hand the trophy to Messi. And if France wins, hand the trophy to Kylian Mbappe, right? And, who could argue in that sense? Like, up until now, those are the two best players. I don't think there's any argument for that. Sure, there's been some great performances. I, I mentioned Alvarez. I mentioned Giroud. Great performances. I'll have my World Cup Best 11 coming up in the next segment. So there's plenty to talk about that way. But really, the golden ball, at this moment, pending the way the final goes, there's really no argument. The two best players on the planet... <laughs> right now, are crashing in the biggest game on the planet. I mean, it's amazing. It's really incomparable. Because, like, a lot of times in the U.S., we like to compare it to other American sports. Not just soccer, but we do this for every, you know. Oh, compare this World Series to something that happened in the NFL. You know, it's incomparable what we're about to see. I mean, try to wrap your head around it. The two best players are the biggest sport by far. And the two best players on the planet right now, by far, with great teams around them, are about to crash into each other on Sunday. I mean, wow. And again, taking nothing away from the 2018 final, was an amazing final game. France wins 4-2 to over Croatia. Croatia had a great tournament, had another good tournament this time, getting to the semis. But this, this might be a final that we, you know, look back on for a long time and maybe we kind of daydream about because who knows if another one will live up to this for a while with this Messi versus Mbappe who's wanting to win a second already you know and who knows what the future holds I get it but wow we got this right now amazing just truly amazing could be could be the biggest game we ever see and I know that seems like hyperbole but this is the World Cup final with Messi in it Against him, I mean, this could be the biggest game you or I ever see. Wow. I mean, that's just, I didn't even really think that hard about that until now. We know it's a great matchup, but this could be, oh man, can't wait now. Now I'm even more pumped to talk about it tomorrow too. World Cup best 11. I'm going to name mine coming up. It's Road to the Cup. We continue on here on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup, ESPNLA, brought to you in part by our friends at Estrella Jalisco. I'm Dave Denholm with you. It's time now for my World Cup Best 11. Now we know, pending, there's a couple of games, but I'm just basing it on right now, where, where we're at now, my World Cup Best 11. This is how I would vote for it. And I didn't go into it necessarily assuming it would be all like Argentina, all France, you know. But it turned out those final four teams are there for a reason. 
realistically, and it's hard to pick against guys who went that far. Been some other really great performances, and I'll maybe mention those as like honorable mentions, certainly. But here is my best 11. I'm going to do it as a 4-3-3, and I tried to pick guys from you know in those slots, so like a left back, a right back, two center backs, a defensive mid, maybe more of an attacking mid, maybe more of a box-to-box kind of player. Uh, and then, you know, the winger, you know, type, you know, three forwards, but the, th- you know, guys out wide and then, in the, you know, in the middle kind of thing. So here's what I came up. See if Mario and see if you agree. Hit me up on Twitter at TalkSoccer even after the show. If you don't agree or whatever your best 11 is, maybe you agree with some of mine. I'm going to start with the goalkeeper is Yassine Bono, Bono of, rather, of uh, Morocco. Bono was great. Tip of the cap to Loris. He was right there. And Lavakovic from Croatia. They all had great tournaments. Really did. Even any of the final four, realistically, because I thought Emiliano Martinez has been perfectly good for Argentina, too. So any of those guys. But really a tip of the cap to Lloris. Thought about picking him, but I go with uh, Yassine Bono of Morocco. Defensively, at the left-back spot, I go Teo Hernandez of France. Not just because of that amazing goal, but he's been up and down the pitch. Yeah, you know, teams are going at him, but that's what teams do nowadays. They go after you know the the backs who get forward, and he has definitely played well defensively, but also contributing going forward for the France. Uh, I thought Romain Saez of Morocco, though he's been hampered by the injuries, has really been his problem. But he, when he was in there in the mid, in the middle of the defense, just lights out for Morocco. I mean, nobody could you know. But unfortunately for them, he kind of got banged up as the tournament went. I still think he belongs there. Christian Romero for Argentina makes it for me in the center of defense with a tip of the cap to a uh, Guardiol or Vardiol rather from uh, Croatia. He was the the 20-year-old almost made my best 11. Uh, and yes, I know Messi beat him on the one big deal. You know Messi beats everybody on that on that play. Every defender in the world loses to Messi on that exact play and Messi does it every time and he's done it to everybody. So don't just you know Yasko Vardiol is a great defender. And Ashraf Hakimi on the right side for Morocco is my right back. So you got two Moroccans in there, an Argentine and a French uh, Frenchman. So that's kind of how it's going to be, frankly. Nobody made it in my best 11 that isn't it, you know, from those teams, if I'm being honest. But here we go, midfield. Uh, Sofiane Am- Amrabat from uh, Morocco is my defensive midfielder. He's been dynamic. Everybody's talking about him, so it's not that big of a surprise for me. But, you know. Tip of the cap, believe it or not, to Sebastian Mendes. If he would have played the third game for Ecuador, they might have got through. I'm not saying whoever, you know, uh, guys who replaced him, they weren't bad or anything, you know, but Ecuador didn't quite get out of the group. Maybe if he'd have got more games, I mean, uh, you know, Sebastian Mendes was playing great in that. And there's a couple of really good, I mean, Declan Rice had a good, you know, midfield uh, performance for England as well, taking nothing away from him. Didn't quite beat out Amrabat of Morocco. Antoine Griezmann from France has been everywhere, up and down the pitch, really pulling the strings. Just such a great a great leader on the field for them, kind of directing traffic. And Luka Modric with Croatia was just, once again, top-notch, world-class player. Uh, Enzo Fernandez was close for me for Argentina. Certainly could have made it. If you picked him, hey, I can't argue. He's had a great tournament as well. Certainly no doubt about that. And there's other guys in the midfield, even you know people who didn't make the final four you know who, who you know the the semifinals who had great tournaments Casemiro from Brazil really did well and again you know if you think about Brazil 
one counterattack where they got caught out and then penalt- and then Brazil was so good. They should, I mean, easily could be in the final themselves. Easily could have won the tournament. And Casemiro was a huge part of that, so he definitely gets my honorable mention as well. Up front, this one's you know pretty easy. Mbappe, uh, Lionel Messi, and I go with Julian Alvarez. A little bit ahead of Olivier Giroud, just because Alvarez maybe is kind of that special goal, you know, with the run he had and breaking through and just kind of plowing through and still finishing. How many times do you see that goal that Julian Alvarez scores where a guy just plows through, almost loses control, but doesn't really, beating all the defenders, and then the final thing is where the keeper gets one little touch on it or something, and he doesn't score, right? And, like, how many times do guys do that where it's an amazing run and then just a goalkeeper or a defender gets a little, you know, t- Toe on the ball and it ruins everything. Alvarez scored on that run. So just a little. And Giroud's been right there for me. Olivier Giroud would be like the fourth, you know, choice, if you will, if you had to. Um, but, you know, and again, you don't hear any U.S. names on here. I thought about Frankie de Jong maybe for the Netherlands and Cody Gakpo certainly deserving. But just in the kind of the honorable mention, getting into the, you know, the eight, the quarterfinals. Uh, certainly, Harry Kane had a nice tournament. Yeah, he missed a PK. I'm not going to hold that, but it did cause them not to go for you know potentially go forward. So I'm not going to put him in my best eleven. He didn't get quite far enough there, but he had a great tournament. As did you know, uh, Saka. I mean, Saka was phenomenal for England and right just a little bit below my best eleven. So there they are. I'll read them again. Bono from uh, Morocco, Hernandez from France, Saez from Morocco, Romero from Argentina, Hakimi from Morocco. Amrabat, Morocco, Griezmann, Luka Modric, Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi, and Julian Alvarez. Those are my best 11. Mario Rees, joining me now for stoppage time. Do you agree with those 11 there? Oh, you can't go wrong with all those top-class players. Can't go wrong, of course. But I kind of like Levakovic as as my keeper. Yeah, yeah. He had an excellent tournament. He did. I like Vinicius Jr., as one of my forwards. Oh, he was. Yeah, I love. He v. was amazing. Vinny Junior is so good. Vinicius Junior is so fun to watch. Brazil was really good. I mean, again, they just ugh, that one break. You know, they give away one counterattack. Yeah, and that's almost all that they did. That's really the only bad thing. You know, and it cost them the whole tournament. I mean, they really could have won this whole thing. And so many amazing players in the midfield. I, I thought Enzo Fernandez should be long in there as well. He had an excellent. Yeah, tournament. he was uh, my twelfth man, if you will. But uh, yeah. Out of my best 11, he was like the first guy off the bench. How about a manager, Dave? Did you pick a manager? I didn't. Uh, Reg Reggie, you know, from Morocco, did a great job. But I think Didier Deschamps, you know, getting there again and just beating teams at whatever they need to beat them at with France. I mean, I, you know, Scaloni's done a great I mean, they've all done a great job. But I think Didier Deschamps, about ready to possibly win a second straight, that's insane. So That's insane. That would be my yeah. manager right there. He would be yeah. my manager, certainly. Um, yeah, tip of the cap to Scaloni. Certainly, and you know, but you know, Dalic, Zako Dalic, and Reg Regi, I mean, they all did a great job to get to a semifinal. But yeah, mine was loaded with semifinalist team, you know, people. So just because I like it, yeah, one more game to watch them, and they all deserved it. So, Mario, what do we got on stoppage time with about a minute left? What's going on? So, in, in stoppage time, I want to talk about stoppage time, the added time that's been added uh, in most of these games. It's been a lot, right? At yeah. the very beginning of the tournament, they started adding a bunch of minutes. Ten. Nine. Yeah, yeah, it was it was nuts. Some of us didn't know how to you know react to it, but after a while, we start to agree that we like it, right? What are your thoughts, David? Now they've been adding less and less minutes lately, so it's kind of been working, right? It's work. That's exactly right. I'm glad you brought it up. It's working. They're adding, you know, they're still adding what five, six minutes, but it's working because we're not seeing all the time wasting. 
Now, yeah, a guy will put the ball out of play and maybe they won't throw it in like right away if you're ahead. You know, of course, there's a little bit of that. We're not seeing all the time wasting because they know it's just not going to work. They'll just add more time. And here's the thing, Mario. I want this added into MLS. I would love to see it in any league. And the reason I bring up, I brought up to you in the off the air, Apple TV's deal, right? Maybe you can start games a little earlier, like on the clock itself, because you're on streaming, right? We don't, you don't have to start at 06 for TV or whatever. And maybe you can get a whole game in with more stoppage time added on to still fit in a nice window, that two hour window, if you will. Because if you're in broadcast TV, that can be tricky, right? You start adding eight minutes in the first half and ten minutes, and then all of a sudden you're floating right into college football or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, baseball, whatever. So on broadcast TV, that could have been a pro. Well, with the Apple TV deal, right? Now it's like if you're if you're MLS, you got to think about this because man, this time wasting has disappeared almost. And at first, I was wondering what is FIFA doing, but it, it it's a light bulb moment early in the tournament where you're like, wow. This is working. And then now you said they're cutting it back a little. Like you don't need the 10 minutes. Now you get five or six at most, you know, or something, you know, depending on how the game goes. I've even seen games, frankly, with the second half had like two or three minutes of stoppage time. So it's almost like FIFA put the hammer down early and said, all right, you're playing along. You guys are behaving. (laughs) Now we'll get back to, you know, what it really is and what it is. And really, they were doing that all along. Because of you know potential for stoppage or time wasting, so I love it, Mario. Good stuff, great stuff on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back at it tomorrow as well. Check out the podcast if you missed anything at the ESPN LA app or wherever you podcast. I'm Dave Dunholm. This is Road to the Cup on ESPN LA.